This very special episode of Just Give Me a Few Minutes is brought to you by George Shot First, the only apparel company to honor Star Wars creator and filmmaker George Lucas. It's not just a shirt, it's a statement. Thank you all. I want you all to know you can't call me loud. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special edition, very, very special edition of Just Give Me a Few Minutes. I'm Mike Mann, and on today's show, we have two absolutely, without a doubt, amazing guests. I know the show is showing that it's about two hours long, but trust me, it's worth every second to listen to both of these gentlemen. This is my 9-11 15th anniversary show. This is the heroes of 9-11. And I found two heroes that I was honored to speak with and honored to have them come on here and tell their story. The first gentleman you'll hear, his name is Rick. He is from England. And he is an ex-British SAS soldier who came to America on the day of 9-11. And I'm not going to give you give it away. We'll let Rick tell you. My second guest is a retired NYPD sergeant who was there. He was on duty that day, and he tells a gripping fascinating story. His name is Jerry. And they, both of these guys know how to tell a story. I hardly, I hardly talk. I sit there and I say a few things and, you know, I'll ask them questions and they were fine with me asking them questions. I was numb guys. You have to listen to this. 
When you're done listening to it, share it. Retweet it. Tweet it. Facebook it. Put it everywhere. These are stories people need to hear because people are starting to forget. And we can't have people forget such a tragedy. I know it's sad. It's such a sad tragedy. But it's it's something that we have to deal with because it's part of our history. And yes, we don't want to repeat our history again. But this is amazing stuff. I mean, this, this I'm going to listen to this for years to come. I'm going to put this stuff on a flash drive or a disc or my phone, and I'm just going to keep listening to it because it is unbelievable. So please, I hope you enjoy. Please hit me up on Twitter, at FromTheMonkey, and let me know what you thought of the show. I, I want to hear from you, or MonkeyBasement, I'm sorry, MonkeyBasePod at gmail.com. Let me know, because I, I want to hear you guys' thoughts on, on 9-11. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not one of those people that think it's, you know, it's, it does not matter if you are a conspiracy theorist, that's, that's, that's your opinion. That's your choice. If you think nine 11 was an inside job or not, that's up to you. This is not what this is about. This is about the stories. And these two guys tell amazing stories about the day it happened, about them being down there and what happened and what they saw up close and personal. So here we go. You won't be disappointed. Trust me. Check it out. If anybody's ever listened to my other September 11th shows, I like to get other takes on, um, quote, foreigners to hear their side or aspect or what what happened in their eyes or in their country when we were attacked on September 11th. And I was able to to track down somebody. It wasn't that hard. But uh, um, his name is Rick. He is from England. And he is an, uh, an ex-British soldier. And um, he, he had a, a very fascinating story to tell. I've heard, I've heard the brief of it. And I'm sure he's got more details because this man can talk. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Rick, you want to say hi? Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, not bad. Um, so, you, you were there at Ground Zero on September 11th. Do you want to explain how that happened? How, yeah, so how you got to, there? To, to kind of start at the beginning, essentially in 2001, I was um, serving with British Special Forces. Uh, I was an officer or ranked a, as a, um, a major at the time. Um, we were in Special Forces, you operate in um, <clears throat> quite small groups or units. Um, you don't kind of operate in, in sort of, um, you know, platoon strength, 30-man strength or, or larger. So we were coming back from um, uh, an operation um, that was in the Middle East um, on the day of 9-11. Um, and um, there, there was, you know, there, there was a lot of heat. There was a lot 
lot of friction. There, there was, you know, stuff was boiling over in the Middle East. You know, we were gathering a lot of information uh, and evidence on um, things uh, which I can't go into. Um, but we, we had a commercial. We were landing back in Germany. Um, I can't tell you where we came in from but uh, on a commercial were, airliner. You were flying on a commercial airliner, correct me? Yeah, yeah. You, you you fly to and from operations on commercial airliners. Where you don't, you know, unless it's kind of to go in for a specific mission or job or whatever. Oh, okay. You will fly in. You will, you know, kind of you'll you'll you know get a bag dump or whatever at, at an airport. Um, so it, it, it was um, there was two groups of four, um, uh, and we were flying back. Or um, we landed in Germany, and as we landed. Um, the one of the flight crew, or as we, before we we landed, beg your pardon, one of the flight crew came out um, and came and um, spoke to me. Um, I then went into the cockpit. First time I'd ever been into a commercial airline cockpit. You know, I, yeah, I was like, well, you know, this this is cool. Yeah. Um, Did you turn into I, a child? I, a little bit, yeah. I was kind of, <laughs> oh, you know, what's this do? What's that do? Can I press some buttons? Um, and then I, I, I obviously, I then. Um, I, I then they basically put a headset on me and said, you know, they want to talk to you. And I, this was really unusual. I'd never, never had it, but at that stage, I still didn't think there was anything wrong. Oh, so you this, know, I, so the flight attendant came and got you. Yeah, yeah. Go the, to the, the cockpit. Um, yeah, um, oh. and uh, at that stage, I, I I didn't, you know, they didn't say, oh, you know, there's anything wrong. Obviously, they wouldn't have been privy to the information, um, and. Um, I was told it was a, essentially the headshed at, at Hereford, um, which is the, the, the at the time was a base of um, where the SAS is, is or was based. Um, and I was told that there was an issue or a problem um, in New York. Um, I was given a very brief detail in that a plane had hit a building. Um, and at that stage, it happened about two minutes previously. Um, we were going in to land. So we were actually going into land as I was talking. Um, and that's when I see, you know, kind of with reference because we were coming back and we were kind of happy and, you know, we were all alive and, and, you know, I just didn't really think that it was a last thing in the world you expect. You don't expect, um, you know, an attack, um, or, or a terrorist attack in, such a metropolis as New York had been there. Right. You know? um, but uh, let me be very clear. Two minutes after that, that strike, which is the time I spoke to those people, I was told that to, to, um, to treat it as a hostile attack. Now that, that means that that's, that's just procedure. Now, so, you can, know, I ask, we, we, can I ask who was on the other line? Uh, no, no one special. Just whoever was in charge oh, okay. on the day. Yeah, it, it, it's just a just someone, just someone who who would have been the orderly officer attending at the time, and they would have been um, uh, attending on that day. Um, but that's just a standard procedure. So we always assume the worst. So okay. you know, it's it, it's similar to you know, kind of the the police in England. They, you know, you know, you don't have road traffic accidents you have collisions or road traffic incidents or, you know, because they don't know whether it's an accident or not. Right. Um, Prepare for the worst. So, hope for the best. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I was told that we were going to get loaded up on the plane and we were going to take the plane 
to New York um, and to, to update on information. So um, we landed. Um, I was still in the cockpit when we landed, um, which was, you know, on the plus side, it, you know, I, I kind of, I, I, I don't know exactly what's gone on. I don't know anything else apart from there's been a plane strike on a building. And that was all I knew. I didn't know it was a World Trade Center. Um, you just knew the, it was in New York, and I, I knew I knew happened. that there was an incident, and they they wanted to get as much armament on that on that commercial plane um, as they possibly could, um, and they wanted us in the air, and they wanted us there. Um, so, um, and the reason for that, um, you know, I found out in hindsight is essentially there is an agreement in place between. Um, you know the, the British and the American government, where we will, you know, we will back you and you will back us. Right. Um, and it, it was an incident where we were, we were the closest, even though we were in Germany, we were the closest to that incident, and we were the best um, factor and able to handle that incident um, with the information that they had at the time. Okay. Um, so they literally, as we landed. They threw people off the plane. Um, I've never seen a plane, you know, kind of evacuated as quickly. It wasn't an emergency evacuation, but they literally dragged people off that plane. Um, I just imagine them throwing you know, them down that big inflatable <laughs> ramp. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the kind of the the, the two the the um, they, they came front and back on the the the, the um, on, on the plane. Um, the the you know the kind of automatic gangways and they were pulling people out they were emptying out lockers giving you know the stuff that the crew were were on the ball like you wouldn't believe just throwing their um, stuff out into the walkway and get out yeah. leave <laughs> and and I started to brief obviously I had my team and a, and another team there and we know each other fairly well right um, and I started to brief them on what I knew um, I was handed a phone um, and I started to to get relay information and we started to essentially take over um, the, the first-class area and, and turn that into an incident room and start to gather as much information as we could. And the reality was we, got, we knew nothing. Um, you know, there was, there was some stuff. Um, there was a live stream um, of, I want to say, CNN, um, but don't quote me on that. Um, there was an incident um, where we or you know, where you could kind of see the incident, you could see what was going on. I mean, I um, think the, the, every news outlet at that time all over the was, place was, was streaming yeah. something. Yeah. So yeah, it could have very well been CNN. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we, we, and that's where we were essentially getting our information from. Right. Um, there, there was, you know, there was a lot of surmising. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of, well, we, we think this, we know that X, Y, and Z was doing this, but, but obviously we had no idea what was going on um, in the US. We had no idea what was happening incident-wise, um, you know, or who potentially um, was a, a, you know, a, who, who was a threat or, or, or what the ins- or what the potential threats were over there. We weren't briefed on that. Um, and, and you know it's the America it's the American's business. It's not our business, right? Um, so it's 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 not something that you guys would share unless it potentially was going to come over to us anyway. Um, and, and you know I know that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of speculation as to what the American authorities knew. Um, you know from experience, um, you know if you know something and you can do something about it, you will do it. 
um, and I served on I served on the ATU um, in England, the anti-terrorist unit. Essentially, the, you just wouldn't believe and you wouldn't know how um, how close you get to an incident all the time. Um, it's 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 just it, it's kind of um, an everyday occurrence um, that there is the sort of trouble um, quite often. So um, you, you just do whatever you can, whenever you can. Yeah. So um, going to um, going back to to uh, on the day, we were trying to gather as much information as we could, um, but the reality was there just wasn't that information available. Um, so we had no idea what we were going into. Um, we took um, several containers on, on the um, on the uh, the plane, um, and they they started to weaponize us um, so that we were ready for whatever was available at the other end. Um, it, it's kind of only time, um, you know. I've, I think I've ever taken, you know, weapons on a commercial airliner. Wow. Um, it's, you know, it's certainly something that, that I can't remember. I know that um, I, I operated um, and did marine security in and around the Horn of Africa. Um, once I'd left the once I'd left the military, and you know, kind of we we would have weapons on board, you know, commercial ships and, uh, and things. But it's the only time that I can remember, um, you know, doing that. And we were we were pretty much ready for anything um, and everything. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, obviously, then information started to stream in. Obviously, there the was a second attack, and there were two other planes um, that were involved in other incidents as well. So, and while, we just started. while you're flying overseas, were you still able to get the the news stream? Yeah, they they um, they were able to kind of uh, update it, it, it um, and keep it coming. Oh, okay. Um, because I, I think because it was first class. Um, at, and so, and that's all we knew. Um, as we as we came into, so that we we went full full steam ahead. There was, um, you know, they really really kind of burnt the fuel, um, and we were there approximately five hours, which is you know is good going. Yeah, um, that's impressive. Um, and as we, I said, so I'd been to New York previously. Um, uh, and as we came in, um, you know, you kind of come in over the bay and, and, um, so first it, you, you were on a commercial airline and all yeah. of the air traffic was suspended in the U S Every, everything, everything, there wasn't, there was nothing in the sky. So, so as we came over, as we came over the bay, um, we didn't, we didn't see, um, we didn't see any other military, um, um, planes or, or vehicles in the sky at all. But when you um, cross over as I understand. into American airspace, I mean, don't you get contacted and threatened? Well, yeah. I, again, I wasn't in the cockpit at the time. I was dealing with, oh, you know, okay. what I was about to deal with. So, I, so my my version of events is from looking out of the window. Okay, good point. My um, so, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't notice anything else, but I do know that because I spoke to the the, the crew. Um, the flight crew after, um, and you know, kind of as we landed and as we were kind of, you know, deeper, we were followed by a plethora of of kind of you know flight vehicles. Um, uh, you know, everything you can possibly imagine was around us. 
Um, but it wasn't until we kind of got around the bay that we were, we were literally something shook the plane and we were trying to work out what it was. And it was just airline. It was just um, jet fighters kind of buzzing around kind of New York. And, you know, obviously they were a bit close to us and we were close to them. There there wasn't any, you know, particular danger, but I think that we were being, you know, we were, they they were letting us know that they were there. Yeah. But it, it was it was quite surreal because all of a sudden it, it you know it looked like um, it, it looked like a you know we'd come into a military zone um, because as you looked out there were jets buzzing around there were military jets um, all over and I think I counted four five maybe six but I saw there were there were some um, military um, helis as well um, or, or helicopters. Um, and then as you looked over where what I would refer to as kind of Manhattan, Manhattan Island, it looked um, like something you see out of a nuclear holocaust movie is the way to describe it. There was a cloud um, that had a, a mushroom shape to it um, that was um, enveloped over the island. You couldn't see the island. Um, it was... It, you know, so we, we now, although we were getting some stuff on the ground, we're now qu- not quite sure what we're going into, um, because, you know, we, we know that the, the towers have gone. We've seen, you know, the footage. Um, you know, we, we've kind of seen some of the horrendous things that, you know, people, people made choices as to whether or not they were going to burn or jump. So before um, you landed, you knew the, yeah, we, you knew we, the buildings well, we, went down. We we'd watch the stream, um, you know. So we kind of. I mean, what's, um, what's the, going through your heads on the plane when you're you're trying to get there and you look and you see the buildings go down? There was there was this absolute feeling of of helplessness, um, but there was our our kind of priority and our mindset was what else is coming, right? That that's kind of all we were thinking about was what else is coming, um, you know, and and we didn't even really think about you know kind of rescuing people or being involved in that. Our remit was what else is coming. What do we have to do to stop this? Um, and our mindsets don't get me wrong. Once we got on the, it, it changed, but as we were coming in, because we we weren't you know we hadn't been fully briefed. We'd I, I'd had you know a couple of telephone conversations um and i had no idea what we were going to be tasked to do or what was going to be required of us to do um you know we're about to go into a, a an allied country armed yeah you know i imagine I, mean? I imagine you guys are in the mindset of like like you're about to go into battle because you don't yeah. know what to expect so you can't think and, about and, and it was the same it was the same feeling that you get you know but it was it was stronger. I mean, I, I you know, I, at that stage, I'd been to Bosnia. I'd been to, you know, a, a lot of places. Uh, I'd been to Somalia, um, you know, around the Black Hawk um, down incident. Mm. Um, I'd seen some stuff, but I'd never, I'd never gone into an environment where I was, I literally felt as if I had to defend my friends, my allies. Right. You know, and, and the, there is this 
I've all, I've always felt as if there was a bond. So whether you know you're American or English or British, it's kind of irrelevant. We're we're brothers, right. you know, um, and that's kind of the the mentality that that I think the majority of kind of you know everyday British people have. Right. So we're thinking, okay, well, this is you know we've got to do what we've got to do to protect whoever we've got to protect, um, and that's all all we knew at that stage. So we we were stacked up. Um, for a bit, they diverted us out to one of the outside airports, um, uh, and you know we we kind of deplaned quickly. Um, and as we came over um, the the bridge towards the island of New York itself, um, a lot of the time I'd sort of uh, until I got to the bridge there, I was kind of on the phone. I was trying to you know kind of update, coordinate with whoever I could. Um, I was talking to a couple of guys who were based, um, you know, military, um, American military liaison guys who were, who were based in New York and were trying to update. And I was kind of like, well, we're here. What do you need? Um, we had also picked up, uh, obviously, because we were, we were armed, we'd also picked up an escort. So uh, our, we were in um, a series of vehicles and our kit was in um, a, a, a a government, a U.S. government vehicle, because obviously we're talking, you know, about military hardware. Right. Um, so we're, we're kind of trying to update. And, you know, once we we got, um, if you like, on to the area itself, it, I, I'd be, I've been to some of the worst, you know, you, you name over the past... Um, you know, for, for 14 years, I, for every incident there is worldwide um, that was bad, I was probably there. Yeah. I mean, I never, you, you, were, never, you were, you said you were in uh, Somalia, the Black Hawk yeah, Down uh, incident. I, I mean, from what I've seen in the movie, and I know the movie doesn't compare, it looked horrible then, just in the movie. It was, it was, it was horrendous. Yeah. It was, so, you know, I mean, it. I can't but imagine to go in, Ground Zero from your own eyes. It, you know, the just it, it was hard as you initially came in. It was hard to ascertain the damage that had been done. And as I remember, as we we literally we got to a certain stage, you know, several blocks out, um, from, uh, uh, and the vehicle couldn't go any further. Uh, so we we got out. And we started to go towards um, the area and towards um, where the towers stood uh, and uh, World Trade Center. So you're dressed um, for combat, right? No, we were still we were still in jeans and t-shirts oh, and stuff really? at this stage. <laughs> yeah, because we, you know, our, the last thing we wanted to do was start running around in military kit, and, you know. Um, and it does it doesn't matter what we wear; the weapons work the same. You know, um, the only the only time we worry about you know camouflage if if you need camouflage or if you need to be identified by X, Y, and Z. Um, so we were, you know, at the same time. So um, I, I detailed a couple of guys to start, you know, prepping our kit and kind of getting ready. Um, but I needed to go and get an update from you know people that I've been talking to who are on site. Um, but I needed to try and work out where they are. You've got to bear in mind it was. Although actually everyone was working together, everyone was really coordinated and really organized as you can be for such a, a horrendous incident. Um, it was chaos. 
you know, there were thousands of people just still, you know, thousands may be an exaggeration. But when I look at it and I look at the size of New York, although I didn't come across thousands of people, there must have been thousands of people. You know, there were people just stood there in disbelief. We we right. went through crowds before we, you know, we started to, to, to get into what looked like a nuclear holocaust zone. Um, and then as we, we started to come across debris and dust and, and you know, and, and rubbish and, and, and just, just, you know, this, this really surreal, um, you know, kind of environment, something that, um, you only see in these kind of futuristic science fiction films. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it was an, uh, an alien landscape. Um, but it, then we, as we came through, you were trying to ascertain, well, well what other damage was there? Um, but as we got closer and closer, um, the, the dust and the debris started to get higher. And all of a sudden, um, you know, we were up to our knees in it. And we were still a couple of blocks away, if, if not further. The uh, dust was um, that thick on the ground? It, it was, it was, well, you know, it, it was dust. It was the debris that right. had fallen out of the buildings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just remember, you know, this dust everywhere, this ash and dust and 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 you know whatever else it was. But it was, it was kind of powdered. You know, there, there was there was stuff and in it. You know, there was papers and right. and and you know a bit of a chair and a bit of this and a bit of that. Um, but there was there was just stuff everywhere, and it was got higher and higher the closer you got. Um, and I, I remember kind of looking over, uh, you know, um, the guy that was with me, and we looked like we'd been rolling around in it. Jeez. We were we were we were covered, you know, and it was just what was in the air. Yeah. So, as we got towards where the the centre uh, the the trade center had stood um there there were you know there were there were just normal people digging with their hands there was um you know fire brigades um the, the fire department um there um and it it just it that it was i can't describe it 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 just had the feeling of this is bad, you know, um, and, and, you know, more than, than what it was, it was because it, it just, it felt as if civilization had ended because it, it's New York, you know, and it just, you couldn't comprehend what has happened. Um, you know, and, and these guys had been, you know, flying around in it for hours. Um, and then we started to, you know, kind of try and we, we started to liaise with it, with our liaison and work out what our, our, our tasks were. Yeah. Um, and I probably can't discuss the, the tasks that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I can, um, as we were there and as we spent time there, um, we, you couldn't help but start to dig. You couldn't help but, you know, if you saw someone struggling to try and lift something yeah. to go and help them. Um, you, you just, you know, um, and then you, you started to talk to people, you know, oh, yeah, okay. Well, well, and we, I, we spoke to this, this, uh, I spoke to this young kid, 
and was in a, a fire um, a fireman's outfit. Uh, what was left of it? Um, yeah, uh, you know, and, and okay, and his, his father was in there. His uncle was in there. His cousins were in there, and his two brothers were in there. And his sister had worked at World Trade Center as well, and he hadn't had contact with them. And this kid, this you know, I say kid, um, uh, you know, early twenties. Um, he, you can see he's distraught. He's broken. Oh, I'm sure. Jeez. I mean, you know, and, and you, you kind of. Even as a kind of fairly hardened, you know, soldier, I, I felt for him. I, I you know, I, and I can't comprehend losing, you know, so many people that are so close to you in such a, you know, way, and then to be on site. Um, and, and he's yeah, you know, and he's kind of like, he, he's. He, he's just doing what he's got to do. He's doing his job. He's trained. Um, you know, he's there. He's trying to help. And it wasn't, well, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to find, you know, my people. Right. He was just he was, well, letting the training I, take I, over and trying to help people. Yeah, I, and it was, uh, I'll, I'll help whoever I can help, whoever's in front of me. And I've got colleagues, and I've, I know that people are volunteering. And, you know, there are other people that will help my people if they come across them as well. And it was very methodical. It was very, you know, kind of do this, do this, do that, do this. And it, it really um, – and that was one of the first people I spoke to. Mm. Uh, and I, I just – you know, it, it broke you. It, 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 I couldn't um, – I just couldn't comprehend it. And I, the, the feeling of, you know, of sheer anger uh, at who had done this – and who was responsible, who was behind it. Um, that, you know, there was no kind of comprehension that it was an accident. There was no, um, com- you know, no thought that it, it was a conspiracy theory, um, which, you, you know, you, it, it, I know is a, there, there are books and, and films about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just. I have no trust. interest in that stuff. Just, yeah, it's. Um, I have no time for that. Uh, and anyone who kind of, who who was involved in it, or, or you know, saw any of it, or was around any of it, will know. Um, you know, from experience, governments just don't do that. You know, there's there's no government. Um, you know, the, the, certainly not a British or American government. And I, I've worked. I just with can't. Both. I can't see it. I can't buy it. Yeah, they they they're on your side. You know, there's there's no. There's no doubt about it. Do they always make the right decisions if we're talking about politics? No. no. Um, but then they're human the same as we are. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, it, the, the, there were um, – we came across, um, we, you know, talking about the day itself. Um, we didn't uh, – our then focus changed from, you know, will there be an, an incident, another incident? Is there a – secondary incident so we were we were still concerned with that um but uh, you you had to you had to get involved you had to get involved in the rescue effort you had to try and support the people that were there and try and you know do whatever you could um but there were i mean we saw body parts um there was um and you know as you were kind of working and and you know trolling through stuff 
um, and trying to kind of work out, you know, kind of what was what, if there was someone here, if there was someone there. Um, there was, you know, people were, were talking, um, you know, and um, I know that there was um, there was a woman um, or, yeah, a woman. Uh, I was going to say what was left of the woman, but that's the, the wrong way to term it. There was literally, um, there was a, a sheet had been put over her um, uh, and she had, um, someone had seen her jump. Um, and I think that someone had seen it, had seen her jump, had kind of gone back and then, you know, kind of identified where she'd gone down uh, and, and jumped from. And, and you know, there, there was a lot of care um, to the, you know, the people that were, that, that were, you know, kind of passed away and wherever they could, they were trying to, you know, do whatever they could, respect it. And, right. Um, but it was difficult because you were trying to move, you know, people who, who had already died to try and get to the people that weren't dead. Right. Um, if there weren't people who, who weren't dead. Um, and it, it, it just, it, it was a day that, that you just, it was the he- one of the heaviest days, you know, and I, I've been in, had some bad days. Just the heaviest day of my life. It really was, um, and it it just was sh- absolutely shocking. There's no other word for it. Um, but I was so impressed with um, the courageousness of the people who were there, the people that were left, the people who had lost so much and were still trying to do the right thing. Um, I thought that you know, the kind of the authorities were. Um, you know, whole fire departments were gone. Um, you know, whole police precincts were, were pretty much annihilated or whole shifts, um, you know, were just wiped out. Um, and I thought that the authorities recovered really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I thought they dealt with it really, really well. Um, and um, there was, it was total and utter selfishness from the people on the ground. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I've yet to see that, you know, from, from anyone, I've yet to see people come together like that again. Right. Uh, and I never will. Um, and I think that that it stands for, um, you know, not just the, the people of New York, because obviously there are a lot of people there who weren't New Yorkers. Um, but I think it really stands for, um, you know, just how good he, from, you know, some of the worst things that humanity can do um, with the, the scum that were involved in, in um, triggering that incident. I think it, it, um, it shows the best of humanity um, because the people that were in and around there on that day were absolutely amazing. Um, but, um, I mean, some of the... It, you just can't put into words what you saw. Um, and you know, there, there are, there are lots of films, there are lots of, um, you know, there are lots of footage of of kind of what it was like and, 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 you know, what it looked like. Um, but the thing that I really wanted to get across today was just that sheer feeling of being there. Um, and that, you know, where you just can't express, um, how bad it was. Right. Um, 
as I said, I've seen and been around a lot of bad incidents. I've found mass graves in Bosnia, um, you know, but nothing like this. Actually, nothing like this. And you just don't expect it. You don't expect a metropolis, you know, such a great city like New York to, to, to be hit in that way. Um, in the days after 9-11, um, we, um, we kind of did our job that we were there to do. Um, we were there to just kind of protect and support um, on uh, a, a specific task. Um, but whenever we could, we would, um, you know, try and get involved in the, 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 the cleanup operation and try and volunteer and try and help out. Um, because you, you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't rest. You couldn't kind of, you know, go off and have a meal or sit down and have anything to eat because of what was, you know, lying down the road. Um, yeah. you, you just, it, 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 it was, uh, and it's something that, that, I just don't think, you know, the people that were there will ever come back from, um, you know, discounting, the, I mean, the thousands of people that lost their lives um, and, you know, the, the, the people who went or who were related to them or, you know, who were friends with the people who were there um, and what they went through. I think just the people who, who attended like I did, um, it, it's, it's a, a kind of unhealable incident and, and an unhealable day um you know and i didn't i didn't suffer i didn't lose anybody that, that i knew i didn't lose anybody that I was related to so i just can't you know fathom how these guys you know stood there the same way that i did and kind of just kept going um uh, because they they're just better people than i am um they really are um we we um, we probably stayed on, on on site for about a month initially, um, just kind of, as I say, doing our doing our job and attending um, wherever we could. Um, but I was so impressed with the people of New York and the, the people that were there. I, I really can't um, explain how how impressive they were. Um, and I would, you know, I, I would move to New York in a heartbeat because the people were, uh, and, I, and I did. I spent quite a lot of time there, you know, in my working life since. Um, and I just think that, that the way that those, they handled it and um, how great they were um, getting through such a terrible, terrible thing, um, I, I think it's just all credit to them. I really do. Wow. Man, I don't know why I put myself through this all the time and just keep listening to these horror, horrible, horrible stories about something so tragic, but I feel like I should do it. I got to do it. And I want to know, I want to hear it. You know, when we first spoke about sort of talking, doing this and I, I kind of thought, Oh yeah, yeah, I can recount it all. It'll be fine. Um, but then when you try to do it, you just can't, you can't get your words out. Um, it, it's, um, you know, as I, I've said several times now, I've seen some in my time, but I've never seen anything like that. I, I imagine you've um, seen things that, nobody in their life would ever see ever. Yeah. Even I mean, a I, fraction of what you've seen in, in, yeah. I mean, in the time afterwards, I fought hand to hand in the Torah board caves, um, in Afghanistan, uh, border in Pakistan. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I've seen some stuff Yeah, and I've done some stuff. Don't get me wrong. 
you know, um, you, you know, there's a reason I'm still here. Yeah. Um, but I, you, I, I cannot believe, um, you know, for, for there's a lot of kind of political stuff in around, you know, should the Iraq war should have happened and should we have invaded Afghanistan and should we have done this and should we have done that? Yeah. Well, they weren't people who were on the ground and saw and experienced, you know, kind of what I saw. And they're not the people who have people who, you know, lost people. Right. Um, or, um, you know, they have very different um, views on, on kind of what happened and it didn't, it didn't really affect them. So it's, it's quite easy to judge what, what has and hasn't gone on. Right. Um, from a, a kind of military perspective. But I, I look back and I cannot believe what people will, you know, what people did to people who I consider to be, to be brothers. Right. It's, and it's as simple as that. You know, I would, I would, you, you know, I, I really, as I said, I, I believe in this special bond between um, Britain and America, you know, and, I, and I'll fight for you and I hope you'd fight for me. Right. Um, and I have, um, but, I, and I cannot believe what they, you know, and I'm, they're not worth mentioning who they are, what they did right. to those people on that day um, and did to the people that were left behind who lost people. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no forgiveness. There's no, you know, from a military perspective, um, we, you know, I think that we, we have done the right thing, um, you know, from a humanitarian and political point of view. I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I'm not a politician, so I don't have to choose. Um, but I, I, I still, I cannot put into words how strongly I feel about what was done um, and how bad, you know, it, it is. I mean, to this and, day. And it, it should be, never be forgotten. Right. And, then, and to this day, I, I, I think that's why one of the reasons I do this, you know, yet this is coming, this is the 15th anniversary. And I mean, can you, should you call it an anniversary? I mean, I don't know what else to call it, but it's, I think one of the reasons I, I do this is because it's one of those things that people try to forget because it's so hard to try to remember it. Or to, but I don't want to forget, and I don't want people to forget. I want people to know that there are people like you out there that will drop everything and help them out if they need it in situations like this. And I don't know. I'm I'm rambling, but I just think people need to hear this stuff and. It's it's fascinating, and it lets lets people in, you know, a glimpse of, you know, what we only saw on the news. Yeah, I think that that anyone in kind of the situation would would help, irrespective of whether it's a job or it's you know anything else. Um, I, I just you know my fear is that that people forget, you know, that they forget what was done. And so, so it's not that it should become a revenge thing, but right. you have 
you have to be mindful and you have to be wary of what people are capable of doing to you. And I think you need to make sure you put yourself in a situation where, you know, as a country um, and countries as allied countries, yeah. we don't let that happen again. Yeah. Um, and if you look, if you look Europe at the moment, um, you know, that there's, there's been an attack every week for what the past six weeks. Yeah. Um, and then there's a string of incidents that have taken place through mainland Europe as well. Uh, and they're, they're, they're all terrorist related. Yeah. Um, and they're all, you know, factions off of factions. They're all part of the same group. Um, you know, again, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's, it's the worst of humanity. Well, I cannot thank you enough. There are no words to thank you for coming on and talking about this and, and no words to thank you enough for coming over here and helping, helping us out. I mean, there's no words except for thank you. You do it for us. You do it for us. I personally do it. Uh, I, I, like I said, I think there's a strong bond between the countries and, you know, whether, whether I would have been kind of, you know, whether it would have been a job or not, if, if I would have been asked to volunteer, I would have done it. Or, you know, if it, if it would have been a volunteer thing, I would have gone. I would have done it as um, well. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Um, all right. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, Mike. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on, Rick. I really, really do. I wanted to take just a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, George Shot First. If you're a regular listener of this show, you know how big of a Star Wars fan I am, but you may not know that there is one thing on my bucket list, and that one thing is to meet George Lucas. I feel like he doesn't get the respect he deserves, and he should be honored for being the genius that he is. So when I found out about George Shot First, I got really excited. George Shot First is a new small business by a group of fans like you and me who got sick to death of all the negativity and snarkiness in the fandom and wanted to take a stand against it. Their goal is to unite the fans of Mr. Lucas and take the message to the streets that the man deserves our respect and appreciation. They've done that by designing some really cool shirts and building a community of fans across social media. I reached out to them and told them about the show and this episode in particular. And they told me they wanted to sponsor it because 9-11 was this huge moment in their lives as well. I talked with Michael over there and he told me he was actually in Manhattan on 5th Avenue the morning it happened. He'd been at the top of the World Trade Center doing a tour only two weeks earlier and had just started his freshman year of college when he saw it all go down in front of his eyes. Go check them out and thank them for sponsoring the show and for working to put George Lucas back in the spotlight. You can find them at www.georgeshotfirst.com or on facebook.com slash georgeshotfirst. And their Twitter handle is georgeshotfirst. The first is a one and an S-T. So it's G-E-O-R-G-E-S-H-O-T-1-S-T. And if you like what they're doing, support them by picking up one of their shirts. I'm getting one. It's all black. It says George Shot First in that classic gold writing, the classic Star Wars font. I'm looking forward to it. Plus an exclusive offer to the listeners of the show. If you use the discount code 
MINUTES in all caps, you will receive 10% off your first order and free shipping when you order two or more shirts. Again, that code is MINUTES, M-I-N-U-T-E-S in all caps, and you'll get 10% off your entire order and free shipping when you get two or more shirts. So please go check them out at georgeshotfirst.com. Hi, uh, I listen to your uh, your other podcast. You know, you got a, uh, a a good podcast. I don't know how, uh, you know, what kind of you know uh, distribution you're hoping to get for nine eleven. But no, know, no, I, I mean, mean those are usually the ones that I care about the most out of my out of my shows. I don't really promote okay. my show very much, but it's mm-hmm. it's for me and it's for. I mean the the show that you listen to has had the most plays and downloads okay so this one to have you on is an absolute honor and the gentleman i spoke with um a couple days ago was a uh british special forces soldier who came down there to ground zero um later on in the day he was in germany and uh his, his plane um, landed that got refueled and he was on the ground in at ground zero before the sun went down on September 11th to, and, hey, well, and he first, helped, he helped with recovery. A lot of British subjects were killed that day. I think they were the, the second largest nationality after American. Oh, I were, didn't were know British. that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, he, at least, at least 200, uh, out of the 3000 were British. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, he, he told a fascinating story too. And he actually, you know, I've, I've talked to him quite a bit, you know, we're, we're working on something else together. And I asked him about it and he said he had some notes and he, you know, during the show he, he was going to bring up some of those notes and he just couldn't do it. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough road. I'm I'm sure it is. I mean, and whatever you don't want to talk about is fine. I completely understand. I, think, uh, I just think this is you. stuff yeah. that needs to be out there. People need to hear this stuff. You know, this is. I agree. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and and you have no idea how much I appreciate you doing this for me. Uh, yeah, it, I really really appreciate it. I mean, I I honestly I didn't know anybody. I, I knew the one guy that was down there that um, he was in New York, but that's I, I, I don't have no connection to anybody there. And but to me, it's still it's like for the older generation, it's like my it's like my Pearl Harbor. And right, fifteen years later, I still get choked up seeing stuff on TV about it. I still. You know, I still got choked up listening to that guy tell me. I'm starting to get a little choked up now just thinking about it. <laughs> so, um, well, we'll get through it. It'll all be good. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Um, my next guest is an absolute honor to have on. It's an honor just for him to say he would do it to me. It's, I'm so flattered and so excited to talk to this gentleman and to hear the story he's got us got to tell. He is his name is Jerry and he is a retired NYPD officer who was down at Ground Zero on September 11th. 
go ahead and say hi, Jerry. Hello. Um, so you were, you were, were you on the job that day? Were you on the clock that day when it started? I mean, were you clocked in when the first plane hit or, you know, no, uh, there are many things that save your life. And one of the things that saved mine was that I had worked late the night before. Uh, I had like a pretty good job. I was on the staff for the police commissioner. So I made a lot of overtime every day. I didn't have anybody really supervised me. I supervised some other people. And uh, normally I worked from 8 to 4, actually 8, 4, 8 to 4.30, and I would always work late every day and make some overtime every day. Right. But I'd work late the night before, so I just, on my own, I didn't have to get anybody to approve it. I just decided I was going to do it 10 to 6 the next day. So at 8.45, when the first plane hit, instead of being just a few blocks away at police headquarters, I was uh, about six miles away at my home in Brooklyn. So, uh, was that, that was precinct one of the first things? Was that headquarters where you're stationed at? Was it affected by the like the collapse and stuff? Was it close enough to be affected um, by that? Just by the dust, not by okay. Uh, okay. Uh, any falling debris or anything like that. Okay. So uh, I was home. I was in gym shorts and a T-shirt. I had a mug of coffee in my hand. Uh, but being on a police commissioner's staff was literally a 24-hour-a-day assignment. And I had a Nextel phone back those days, if you remember what Nextel oh, were. Yeah. And, One and of the most annoying yeah, noises and, uh, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I get the chirp, and uh, a guy a guy on my team uh, calls me and and just says, Hey, there's a huge explosion at the World Trade Center. I'll see you there. Uh, uh, he sees it from the office. He literally looks right at the window of the office and sees. It. So, so he reports it to me like a few seconds after it happens. So, what what do you think? Do you think, you know, that it's a terrorist attack? Do you think it's a plane? Does does he know? Does well, I mean? Well, no one knows at, at the beginning, right? But at first. I thought, oh, it's a bomb but from like like in 1993. Right. Uh, uh, I had been to. I wasn't at the 93 bombing until many many hours after it was kind of uh, settled. Mm-hmm. But they had tried to, to blow the, the building up once before, and I'm thinking, okay, they did it again. I flip on the TV. Uh, sure enough, the news is already covering it, and uh, they've taken like a traffic cam or something like that and panned it over, and mm-hmm. they've got like this distant shot of the trade center and it's huge hole but i still wasn't putting two and two together that uh uh like a jumbo chat had flown into it i, I thought it was like a some kind of general aviation some kind of private plane or something so uh i had been around a block a number of times as a cop i had been a detective commander before this assignment in uh, headquarters uh so i was going to do the three s's which is uh I'll clean it up, but I poop, shower, and shave. You know, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You try not to, you try not to, you know, let let uh, the situation dictate uh, how you're going to react. When I'm not a fireman, I'm going to have a lot of work to do. I, I can tell already. I'm looking at a 24-hour shift just by the damage to the building. Right. And I'm like, I might as well, you know, get myself squared away and go in instead of uh, you know, all scatterbrain. And right then, my phone rings. And I get a call from a fellow who's actually today he's the deputy commissioner for counterterrorism at the NYPD, but then he was a 
uh, reporter for ABC News who who had expertise in, in terrorism, uh, a fellow by the name of John Miller. And Miller was pretty famous because uh, he had uh, once interviewed Bin Laden in a cave in Afghanistan back in, like, 97. Wow. So Miller and I were friends. Miller, like, I, I, you know, I don't know how else to describe him. He knows everything that's going on everywhere all the time. You know, he's, he was an excellent reporter. Actually, why he's an excellent counterterrorism person, and he called me and asked me what was going on, and I kind of caught me off guard. Like, how could he not know? How could John Miller not know what's going on? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I decided that I was going to, you know, I'm, it's going to be a long day. I'm going to get filthy dirty, so I just put some deodorant on. Uh, I grabbed my oldest suit, oldest shirt, and tie it in like. Threw it on real quick. I'm yelling downstairs to my wife to put the TV on. Uh, she puts it on. She's like, you know, can't believe what she's watching. I run downstairs. Now it's maybe like five to nine. It's like ten minutes into the, I'm uh, ready to roll out the door, and she gives me a cup of coffee, and I say, I'll talk to you later. I get in my car. I have a take-home on my car, and as soon as I fire up the car and the radio comes to life, I listen to the, you know, we have like, 50 police channels in New York City. I listened to the one for the Special Operations Division. These are our toughest cops. They yeah. are the ones that do the rescues, SWAT team, the aviation unit. You know, these are our hard-nosed cops who've been there and done that. Yeah. And they're all on the radio screaming. And I'm like, that kind of took me back because they're not screamers ever. And so I uh, throw all the lights and sirens on in the car, uh, and I just take off. I'm about two blocks from the highway, I get on the highway, I fall in behind a fire truck, and we're racing in on uh, what's known as the Gowanus Expressway uh, or the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, depending on uh, on uh, how long you've been in New York City. I've been in New York City a long time, so to me it's the Gowanus. So uh, this highway runs from my neighborhood of Bay Ridge north towards Manhattan. It's an elevated highway. I can see the Trade Center from my uh, right behind the wheel of my car. Mm-hmm. But I'm driving for everything I'm worth. I'm, I'm literally just paying attention to the 10 feet uh, on the other side of the hood of my car. And I'm driving, you know, like a madman. And uh, then a guy gets on the radio and he starts screaming about a silver plane and uh, uh, explosion. And he's screaming. And, you know, this is now at about 9.05. And as I'm driving around listening to the police radio, I'm also had like the local news uh, AM station on. Mm-hmm. And they were already reporting that a plane had been hijacked out of Logan Airport. So you don't have to be, you know, the greatest detective in the world to figure out that. Uh, this is the plane from Logan, and they crashed it into the World Trade Center. Yeah. And so I don't, I didn't see the second plane hit the tower, even though I certainly could have had a, a, a advantage of uh, a view of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I hear this guy screaming. And all of a sudden, another cop gets on real calm, and he's like, "Central." And actually, I thought, like, this guy just got there. You know, it's tw- we're 20 minutes into the incident, and he's telling us what happened 20 minutes ago. Like, get this guy off the radio. And another cop gets on. He's very calm. He says, "Central, another plane just came from the south and hit the other tower." And now I look up, and I don't see the fireball, but now it's like a roiling, rolling ball of smoke, gigantic, probably 200 yards across, 200 yards high, and it's rolling up. And I'm like, holy crap. And this is this is definitely like a, uh, you know, a, 
serious gut check. You know, I, as a cop, I'd done all the check check the box things that a cop should do. I delivered a baby. Mm-hmm. I'd been in a fire rescue. I'd been in a shootout. By the, by the way, uh, a total push. He missed me. I missed him. Uh, so, like, this is, but this type of thing, even though I had, at the time, 16 years on a job, uh, I was totally, I was, like, really, like, like, wondering, like, like, how do we handle this? So, go about another 10 seconds after that, 20 seconds after that, and uh, the NYPD has a command and control uh, unit called uh, operations, and uh, they're very helpful 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You need something. You need a specialized rescue unit. You need outside resources. You need state police. You need the aviation unit. You need the feds. You need uh, the utility companies to do something for you. You need the fire department. You call operations, and then they make the call for you and make sure that those people get to you as fast as possible. Mm. The chief of department, he's known in the NYPD as CAR 3, he gets on the, the Special Operations Division radio, and he's like, uh, Car 3, I have an emergency transmission. So everybody shuts up, which is good, and Central goes, go ahead with your emergency transmission, Car 3. And he says, Central, have operations notify the Pentagon. The city is under attack. Now, I was like, holy... You know, you can say uh, I, I I literally totally shit. I I literally check my hip. You know, my gun is there. I've got an extra magazine in like the cup holder, not on my belt. My vest is in my trunk. I'm like I'm rolling to like Pearl Harbor, basically, and I've got thirty rounds. I got thirty thirty one rounds of ammunition, and my my vest is in the trunk of the car. So. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, really, it's my mind's racing like there's no tomorrow. So it takes me about another five minutes to get to uh, ground zero. I come out of uh, the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, uh, which is now called the U Carry Tunnel. Uh, come out of the Battery Tunnel. I'm like uh, five, six, five blocks maybe south of the site. I did something smart here. I didn't realize I was doing something smart at the time. I parked my car all cockeyed uh, on, at an intersection, and later – when everything in downtown Manhattan was the, like a moonscape, everything was the same color, like concrete gray, I was able to find my car because it was like different than all the other cars, the way it, the way it was parked. Uh, you know, all, the cops all drive four Crown Victorias or Chevy Impalas, you know, right. and they're all covered in dust trying to figure out which one is yours. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like so, back uh, in the day with the old uh, Model A's, they were all black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pick so, pick uh, that car out. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, uh, I go walking up West Street, and uh, I'm looking at the buildings, and they both got these huge holes in them, and there's debris coming off the buildings. And uh, uh, the first thought I actually had was, uh, uh, oh, these buildings are going to be closed for like seven years to repair this. And this is major damage way up in the structure. Uh, this isn't going to be fixed in a year. This is going to be a multi-multi-year project of 66 so you're a couple blocks so, away from from the towers now right right but i'm walking towards them so i get literally every second that passes i'm a couple steps closer i get to the marriott downtown which is one block south of the towers and i walk if the first thing i see is there's a jet engine right in front of the front door of that hotel which is still there by the way and it's filled with tourists right now i guarantee it and there's a taxi probably just pulled up and dropped some people off there and there's this jet engine there, obviously heavily damaged, but it's, it's you know it's obviously a jet engine. Right. And there's these two young rookie cops standing there, and my best sergeant voice. I'm like, 
this is evidence. You stay right here with this uh, only until you're properly released by the NYPD crime scene unit or FBI evidence collection. Don't you move. You understand? I'm Sergeant Kane, and I'm like yelling. I'm giving him a lot of grief. You know, and I don't like to be that kind of sergeant, but I was just like in no mood to try to explain anything to anybody. Right. And they're like, yes, sir. One of them throws me a salute, and I go into the hotel because I'm really not comprehending what's what's about to happen. And uh, I go in the hotel. And I tell, I grab like a catering manager and I go, look, there's going to be like a thousand, two, three thousand firemen coming to this thing. I go, they're going to need to eat. They're going to need coffee. They're going to need water. Uh, I'm ordering you guys to start making it. And I give my business card. I said, you can build a city. Just, just, you know, send the bill to me and I'll get the NYPD to pay for it. Don't worry about it. Just do it. So I come out of that Marriott. Now I'm right across the street from the South Tower. And I'm about to go to the other Marriott Hotel, which is actually between the two towers. It was known as the Marriott World Trade Center. And I knew a guy that uh, was a retired Port Authority police sergeant, was the security director there. And I was going to go in there and see if he needed anything. And I didn't because what happened is a a deputy commissioner on a job saw me, and he was, like, in a panic, and he wanted to find a police commissioner. And, like, he was really having trouble uh, he was, like, screaming, and he was crying, and I, I get him calmed down, and we go off to find the commissioner. I come to find out my friend who ran security at the Marriott World Trade Center was in the building when the South Tower collapsed on top of it, barely made it out of the building alive, barely, before the North Tower collapsed on it. And it occurred to me, if I'd gone in there and saw him, I would have changed his day by just a few seconds, and he might not have made it. And that maybe that day would have changed my day, and I'm not here talking to you today. Oh, so I've got, like, two things already that kind of happened, right, that, uh, that I think about in, in, the, in the back of my head and uh, think about, like, you know, how I lived through it. So uh, this deputy commissioner and I, we work our way. Oh, so, so while I'm standing, I told the deputy commissioner, I'm hearing these boom, 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 boom. Oh, and it's, God, in both yeah. buildings, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in both buildings there's uh, – cafeterias, even restaurants in the building. And I'm like, geez, there's gas lines exploding? Like the FD doesn't have enough problems? There's going to be little mini explosions going off all through the buildings? And then out of the corner of my eye, I catch it. Uh. Right down. Boom. Holy crap. And I must watch two dozen people go. And all the way from where they jump all the way down to the bottom. And Yes, go ahead. I I heard that uh, like people that did jump actually killed people on the ground. That's true. There's like a famous picture of uh, Father uh, 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 Father Judge, and Father Judge was is on the list of deaths he's given death certificate for the World Trade Center zero 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 one, but. uh, he was killed when a person landed next to him. And he either, you know, it's, I don't know if the, if the traumatic, if he got injured traumatically from that or if he had a heart attack from that. A fireman was killed by a falling person. Uh, there weren't a lot, but there were a few people that were killed by falling people. Uh, it can happen, not dozens, mm-hmm. probably not even a half a dozen, but maybe, but there were some. Wow. So, uh, uh, so I'm watching this and, uh, there, there were like two types of people jump in, in all seriousness. One type of person just went 
they just kind of went easy. If I don't, if that's the best way to describe it, uh, they knew what that they were going to die, and they were just kind of like falling as peacefully as they could. And you know, then they, they obviously they died instantly when they hit the right. sidewalk. The other type of person, this was not a, uh, them jumping to their death. This was like they're they're trying to survive. What's going on up there? They literally could see they're trying to almost jump over to the roof of other buildings, which of course is impossible to do. They're clawing and grabbing and screaming all the way down. So uh, I stood there and I, I saw two people hit right at the uh, taxiway in front of uh, One World Trade Center, which is the North Tower. And again, I'm thinking that someday these buildings are going to be reopened. I got um, uh, me and my wife had our uh, our wedding reception at uh, Windows on the World, which was the restaurant on the, the roof of the North Tower. Right. And we went there every year on our anniversary. And I'm like, how am I going to come back here? And like make believe that I didn't see the crap that I'm seeing now. I'm not realizing that the building is, you know, only has a you know couple minutes left. But uh, so uh, work our way around uh, the perimeter of the property, find uh, the commissioner. So the deputy commissioner I'm with is very happy he's found the police commissioner. Uh, a member of the police commissioner's staff, an inspector, which is a pretty high ranking uh, uh, official in the NYPD. Asked me to go find the uh, head of the FBI field office for New York City, a guy, a guy by the name of Barry Moore. So the FBI has like, even then, had like about 1,800 agents in New York City. It's the second biggest office outside of Washington. So uh, they've got people on the ground. We're trying to get a handle on, you know, what's happening. They've got the pipeline to the, the feds, and the police commissioner needs to speak to the head of the FBI. So... I go find where the FBI is rallying up. They've taken over an office building lobby like three blocks north of the site uh, on Church Street. So I, I uh, go in the lobby, and uh, a detective uh, – so if the, if the FBI has 1,800 agents, they also have about 1,000 detectives working with them uh, that, we've, that we've detailed over to. So uh, a detective uh, from the NYPD who knows me but works for the FBI – uh, asked me what was needed. And I say, oh, you know, the, the commissioner wants to talk to Barry Morton. And he goes, oh, Barry Morton's not here, but Ken Maxwell is here. So Ken Maxwell was the number two guy in the uniform. All right. I go, look, I go, and I know the commissioner. I go, I go, he's not, he asked for Barry Morton. He does not want me to bring him Ken Maxwell. I'm like, is Barry Morton here? He's like, yeah, he's here somewhere, but I don't know where he is. <laughs> so he's got me by the hotel. And he's dragging me to Ken Maxwell. I finally I have to order him. I have to say, detective, let go of me. I'm going to find Barry Moore. I said, let's go of me. Uh, I go outside. There's a FBI agent standing there. I knew he was an FBI agent because he looked totally stuck up. You know, he's standing there uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't know. He's just looking, just looking stuck up like they, like a lot of them do. Not all of them. A lot of them are great. Many of them are great. Uh, but some of them, you know, have no business being in law enforcement. So uh, Some of them let that power go to their head. Yeah, <laughs> and they got a lot of it. So, yeah. uh, so I asked him where Barry Morn is, and he says Barry Morn is in the South Tower. Uh, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Barry Morn was not in the South Tower. He's alive and living in Boston today. So oh. uh, I go, I'm on Church Street. And I'm like, I don't know, three blocks north of the, the site. I go, I start jogging down uh, Church, and uh, I get to uh, like uh, maybe. 200, 300 feet from the base of the South Tower. 
uh, like pick the spot between number four and number five World Trade Center. Uh, looking at it, you know, the footprint of the building is it's just a big square. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, the stuff is falling off of it all four sides. Uh, but so that's like leaving these like pizza wedges on each corner, but it's like no stuff falling, right? So I'm like, okay, if I want like a 45 degree angle right to the corner of the building, I should, you know, survive that. And I'm ready to make the run. And someone yells, it's coming down. And I look up and sure enough, it's coming down. I'm like, holy shit. And, I, and when I, uh, the best way I can describe it to you is I had to crane my neck and look straight up to see this thing coming down. Oh my God. So, you were, you were uh, right there. Uh, yeah, I, oh. I, I told you I was a lucky guy. <laughs> so, uh, so I had I had been at one building collapse in my career. Uh, it was like an older pre-war, like pre-World War II, uh, six-story building. It had a lot of structural problems. FD told us it was going to come down. I wanted to see it come down. You know, we're our job at these things is to keep everybody back. I'm like about a block away and wait and wait and wait for this thing to come down. And then I, I kind of turned my back for one minute and swoosh, it was down in a second. Yeah. Uh, and I missed it. So I thought I had like two seconds. So I ran about 150, 200 feet and I got behind uh, what the NYPD calls as an REP. Uh, it's like a, uh, an ambulance sized vehicle. And uh, uh, so long story uh, short, I get behind this thing and uh, 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 I'm waiting like one, two, three. I, I wait like another six, seven seconds, which is like the longest six, seven seconds of my life. Oh. A couple of the people ducked in there with me. I got myself tucked into this thing as close as I can. And then all of a sudden, I mean, the noise was unbelievable, as you could just imagine. This is a 110-story building. Every floor, they tell, they've told us, weighed a million pounds between the steel and the concrete and glass and everything else. And wow. it comes roaring down. And then there's this, like, whoosh of sounds like gravel, but it was like the dust, actually. And it was all this concrete and glass and gypsum board. It was just pulverized, like flour, like a finest flour. That comes over. So I have a good sense to take a little breath just before that happens and hold my breath. I'm holding my breath like 10, 15 seconds. I really wasn't prepared to hold my breath. I like it like you're in a swimming pool and decide to hold your breath. And I had to take a breath. All of a sudden, I go, and it just rushes into my, my throat, all this powder. Ooh. And I gag. And when I gag, I take a second breath. I'm like, and that's it. I'm now I'm totally and absolutely screwed. I got my throat's all jammed up with powder. Uh, I can't breathe. I'm like, this sucks. You know? So I'm not getting any air in. I'm trying to get it in. I'm just gagging. And uh, uh, I kind of start getting, like, my hands are feeling weak and my feet are feeling weak. And I, I bang it to the guy, one guy next to me. And I bang it to another guy on the other side of me. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try to die with a little dignity. So I just on my knees. And, I, you know, I, I uh, was like, this sucks in my head, right? And uh, uh, long story short, uh, I get calm, actually. I actually get calm. And I got calm. And I thought. And I thought, you know, I'm wearing a suit jacket. Maybe I can, like, pull this up over my head. So I reached to the back of my neck and grabbed the back of the collar. And without taking the jacket off, I kind of just, like, pulled it up over the back of my head and down over my face because I wanted to keep it as dust-free as I, as I could. And I figured that the liner that was up against my body didn't have any dust on it. Right. And, uh, 
uh, I sucked as hard as I could through that cloth, and I got some air. And I saw I knew I was going to live at that point. So the truck was pointed uh, south. I was at the back of the truck, so the other way was north. And I was like, okay, that's uh, Harlem, the Bronx, Canada. I don't give a crap where it is. I'm going that way. Yeah. So I walk about like a block with the jacket wrapped around my head, maybe a block and a half. No, excuse me. I, excuse me I'm getting it backwards. I crawl like about a block, and then I get on my feet, and I, I walk like a block. And I started out at like Fulton and Church Street, if anybody wants to look at a map, or if anybody's been to New York City and gone to Century 21 by the World Trade Center, the shop. I started out by Century 21. I walked north. I walked past the Millennium Hotel, and then I walked past the, the cemetery that covers St. Uh, Paul's Church. Uh, the cemetery is on the backside of St. Paul's Church. St. Paul's is on Broadway. At that point, I, I'm like at my feet. I'm at like Vesey Street. And I stumbled north to Barclay Church. And now the dust is starting to settle. And at St. Peter's Church, there's five people in there, four adults and a teenager. The teenager is now 32 uh, years old. He's uh, got his MBA, was, has a, had a career in the Navy already. Uh, but the teenager, a kid by the name of Jonathan Stewart, uh, uh, sees me and says, hey, somebody should go get that guy. And none of the adults make a move. So he runs out, and he grabs me by the wrist. And he's like, I got you. Uh, follow me. And I go, where are we going? And he goes, a church. And I go, is it a Catholic church? And he goes, I don't know if it's a Catholic church. And I didn't care. I, I, I would have gone into a mosque. You know, <laughs> I needed to get off the street. But uh, I needed water badly. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and uh, so it was, it was a Catholic church. And I, I, I just got lucky. I felt the wall, and there was a holy water uh, well. Uh First mouthful in my mouth, rinse and spit. I had to, yeah, I had to get air. Second handful uh, in my eyes because my eyes were just full of dust. And uh, you know, and so there I am. I'm, I'm safe. Well, one of the things I'll tell you about when the when the, the buildings fell and the dust came. Uh, and if you ever talk to anybody else who was down there for this, the noise when the building fell was the most, the loudest noise you've ever heard in your life. I mean, all I've ever heard when the, was it sounded well, like a train. Well, like a hundred trains. I, trust me. When it, the dust then fills the, the, the site and it's coming down and around you, there's no air, so there's no sound. It was the quietest quiet I've ever heard in my life. Wow. There was no sound. No sound at all. Maybe outside the dust there was sound. But in the dust, it was silent. And then now, of course, noise, as the dust settles, I guess noise starts to happen, right? And uh, you hear people uh, asking for help, people offering help. You hear the firefighter pass along. Everybody talks about that, how eerie that was. It wasn't like there were scores of firemen who were laying dead or unconscious around us. The firemen are not dumb guys. When they have to run for their lives, they ditch the 60-pound pack that's on the back of their shoulders. And they run for their lives. You know, look at they'll get another pack you know, yeah. another time. And the alarm is the the motion alarm that 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 gives like the dead man siren is on the pack. That's that's why you heard so many of those things. Yeah. So uh, in any event, I go into this church. I just had this near death experience. I'm in a church. I'm like, this is like beyond freaking bizarre. Uh, uh, there was a paramedic there. It takes my pressure. My pressure was like one. 
like 90 over 120. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, you guys are in the hospital. I was like, dude, you see what's going on out there? I go, I'm not going to the hospital. I just need a cup of coffee. I'll be fine. And really all I needed was like, I was already probably coming down. My pressure, I'm sure my pressure was higher. My pressure was already on the way down and I was starting to, to organize my thoughts. I'm a police sergeant. I tell people what to do for a living. I'm going to start telling these people what to do for a living. So I started organizing because people were starting to come into the church. The walking wounded, some fine. Uh, so I was organizing uh, a triage because I had a paramedic and a nurse. They were treating people. I had able-bodied guys going no further than 50 feet from the front door to bring people in. And I needed a kid went to go find water. So uh, I find the sacristy door, which is a room that's off the side of the altar. And, uh, and uh, it's open. So we go in there, and I knew what would be in there. I was an altar boy when I was a kid. So uh, there were flower bases, there were chalices, there was a, there was a sink. So we get the sink going. Uh, uh, we're getting chalices and flower bases full of water so people can drink. And uh, I tell the kid, I go, go get the cloth off the altar, you know, it's a ceremonial like uh, cloth, drapery cloth over the altar. Yeah. I go, get that. He brings it. I have a knife. Uh, this is true. Cuts on the truth. It was given to me by Judge Lance Ito, of all people. I really? swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> and I give the knife to the kid. And, and you know, there's humor even in the darker stories. <laughs> and, uh, I give the knife to the kid. I go, cut this into strips, you know, two feet long, six inches wide. We'll soak it in water so people can tie it around their face. So he rips right through that. And he goes, what do I do now? I go, cut the, cut the priest's vestments. And he goes, I can't do that. I go, I was an altar boy. You can do that. He goes, I can't do that. I go, the priest isn't here. I'm a retired altar boy. I'm the ranking religious authority here at <laughs> the church right now. Do it. Uh, my wife and I uh, subsequently, you know, months after the attack, went and spoke to the pastor. He was very forgiving. I actually get choked up thinking about it. He was like, that stuff was put there exactly for that purpose. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. But um, at, the t at the time, I was thinking, and this might cost me some years in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> I might not be able to get back. So, uh, I'm sure uh, God will forgive you. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I you know, uh, he might not forgive everything I've done, but he might forgive that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the brain is a funny thing. Uh, uh, I was in the church for the collapse of the North Tower, and I'm actually as close then as I was when I was on the street. But of course, I'm in this substantial building. But I guarantee I was aware of the North Tower collapse. I'm sure it shook the place like there was no tomorrow. I'm sure everybody dove for cover. But for some reason, I have no recollection of it. And they say that it's a whole part of cognitive memory and subconscious memory and the, the flight or fight and, you know, uh, what parts of your brain are active and what are not. But I don't really recall anything about when the North Tower came down. Uh, the North Tower comes down. I leave. I leave there. I'm like, I got to try to make contact with the guys that work for me, my boss. I, I, I got to figure out what, what, what we're doing next, right? So I, I made my way up to Transit District 2, which is a police station and a subway station at uh, Canal Street for the Transit Police, the Transit Bureau. Uh, I go there. I'm completely covered in dust. Every, every boss that would see me, would, uh, they, you know, because they all knew me because I worked for the commissioner, was trying to order me to go to the hospital. I'm not going to the hospital. 
I actually walked into the district and walked right into the shower stall wearing my suit because and, and, I looked like Pigpen from Snoopy. Uh, <laughs> and I just took a shower with my clothes on literally just to suppress the dust because it was, uh, it was uh, not debilitating, but it was certainly annoying. Yeah. So I get it suppressed. Uh, I give my business card. Some guy asked for help. I forget. You know, he was. He didn't need help. He had a loved one. I don't know if he had a kid or a spouse or a sibling. You know, worked in the towers. I'm like, look, you can't go down there. You know, this is what you should do. You should go home. Someone should man a phone that this person will call. That type of thing. I gave him some advice. I go, do your loved ones know that you're down here? Yeah, have you reached them? No, you haven't reached them. I give them my call. I go, look, when your loved ones know you're alive, ask someone to call my wife and tell my wife that you saw me and I'm alive. And I put my wife's name and a whole phone number on the back of my card. I did that with another person. They both actually called. But before they called, I get a hold of my wife maybe 2.30 in the afternoon. So, uh, my wife's a nurse, you know, typical cop nurse nurse, right? And uh, uh, she went to nursing school with this girl, uh, Diane. Uh, Diane's uh, husband was a firefighter, another typical marriage, right? At least in uh, Brooklyn. I don't know how it is in uh, Ohio, but I'm sure it's probably the same. So uh, they're calling each other. So my wife, Madeline, is calling Diane, is asking Diane, is Marty there? And Diane is saying yes. Have you heard from Diane saying no? And then, like a half hour later, Diane would call my wife, Madeline, and ask, you know, have you heard from Jerry? And Madeline would say no. So I get a hold of my wife around 2 30. I saw a payphone. I took a chance, and it was working. And because all the phones just went down, just from use, all the cell phones went down. Uh, yeah, it was affected even I in did, Ohio, the, the phones. Yeah, I, I would imagine like yeah. literally Cell whenever you would be in the, in the country gets on the a phone, it, it's going to crash the network, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, I tell my wife, I go, look, I don't know when I'm going to be home. I go, this is war. I, I, don't, I don't even know what this means for me. I, go, I don't know if I'm going to be home in a week, a month, tonight, a year. I, I, I told her, I said, I do not know the answer to any of these questions as soon as I, I know. I'll call you. Uh, I go, but I'm safe, and I'll talk to you soon. And my wife goes, great. You know, we told each other we love each other. My wife hangs up the phone, and the phone rings, and it's her friend Diane asking my wife if she heard from me. And my wife thought about lying and saying she hadn't yet, but she did say that she heard from me. And, of course, uh, she never hears from Marty. Marty. He doesn't. He doesn't come home. So, uh, to give you the gravity of this, mm. this was a, a wonderful couple. Uh, they were they were a beautiful couple. They had gorgeous kids. Uh, they, they they both do jobs of service. She's an operating room nurse. He's a captain in the fire department. Uh, it was a very painful, painful loss. So, uh, 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 you know, and even though him and I went at it over who was more important, the police or fire department all the time, and uh, uh, it, it it seems unbelievable to me that he was gone. He was smart. He was intuitive. He was in great shape. He knew what he was doing. And if someone like that could die, it's just kind of uh, mind-boggling to me. Yeah. So uh, 
in any event, uh, I get through the rest of the day. Uh, <laughs> we set up a uh, a temporary morgue at an ice rink. We ended up breaking that down because uh, we didn't. Uh, we got other equipment, and I don't know where this equipment came from. These gigantic air conditioning units, like a tractor trailer, that's an air conditioner, and it's got these uh, flex vents that come come off the side of it. And we were chilling a, a passenger ship terminal on the west side of Manhattan. We literally like spray paint, and this thing's like the size of four football fields. We're spray painting Tower One, Tower Two, NYPD, FDNY on the floor. But then the medical examiner told someone. Look, there's not going to be a ton of bodies in this. We're going to be able to handle it right at the regular morgue. And uh, I ended up going over there to the morgue. And, you know, it, it's a long time now. At some point, though, I was back down at, uh, down at Ground Zero when Seminole World Trade Center fell. But, like, we knew that was going to fall for about 15 or 20 minutes before it went. So I was a good five blocks away when that fell. And then uh, uh, I ended up at the morgue, and I worked at the morgue until about – Three or four in the morning, can't remember. I went home. Uh, my wife left a trash bag in the foyer of the house. I literally stripped all my clothes off in the uh, foyer, uh, bagged it. That bag is still in my garage someplace. I should open it up someday. Uh, I went and took a shower because I needed, obviously, to, to decontaminate. Right. And I, and I, and I was going to my plane was to be back at 5. So it must have been around 3.30. My plane was going to be back at work at 5. And uh, I was going to take a half-hour nap. But I made the big mistake of putting the TV on. And even though I lived this thing, it was compelling television to watch. Yeah. So instead of napping, I just stood there and glued to my TV for 30 minutes. And uh, uh, I went back into work. Uh, over the next few days, uh, it was like, you know, down at Ground Zero, like 24-7. Uh, on the morning of the 12th, if you've ever watched the ceremony that they do every year at Ground Zero, they bring a flag out at the beginning of the ceremony, this big 8 by 13 foot like office building flag. Yeah. Uh, I recovered that flag. Me and another guy recovered that flag. A guy by the name of Pete Frischer. Oh. And uh, that flag flew on a space shuttle. Uh, that, that flag's had a, a hell of a history. It's definitely one of the uh, more significant events in my career was recovering that flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we found uh, my friend Marty on Friday uh, after the attack. And my wife was putting a lot of pressure on me. You know, I worked for the police commissioner. Uh, if you got listeners who are cops, they can imagine, uh, uh, you know, if you work for the chief in your town, you've got a little more juice than other people if you say, Mike. But think of me, I'm working directly for the police commissioner in a 40,000 person department. So I had like a lot of juice. I, uh, I, I could, I, uh, and my wife knew it. And so she was like demanding that I find Marty. You got to find Marty today. You got to find him. You got to find him. So on Friday, I, I, I it's a smart thing. I went to the missile squad. They were they were doing all the fingerprinting and all the DNA of all the recovered bodies. I go when this guy comes in, I need to be notified. So my uh, and then the guy who was in the missing person squad was a friend of mine. This guy Dave Eber, great, great, great guy. Did unbelievable work. Him and his him and his squad did unbelievable work for the, the, the year following 9/11, getting people identified and returned to their loved ones, and. Uh, uh, Dave, Dave calls me on Friday night I'm down on ground zero and says we got, we got your boy definitely him fingerprints confirmed uh, I'm like okay so it's like midnight on Friday 
And I was just about to go home. So I was like, I'm going to wait a little while. I don't, I don't want to tell my wife before we tell Diane. So I, I wait till I, I, I get home. I come home at three. And, uh, uh, I, you know, if you're married or, or for the married men who listen to your, 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 your show, uh, I try to do the ease in the bed. I try to like to do the, the ease in the, you know, I didn't wake her up and I'm trying to like lay down that bed as gently as I can. Mm-hmm. And my wife wakes right up and says, I hope today brings news of Marty. And I go, you know, we, we do have news of Marty. So, uh, I uh, got up like around six thirty. uh, called the fire department. They had so many firemen killed, as you know, 343 were killed. Correct. That they, they could not keep up with notifying the families. So I call them up and say, listen, I know Captain Megan is found. When When is his wife going to be notified? And they tell me sometime between 8 and 8. I'm like, what? I go, that's unacceptable. I go, people, even though it was Saturday and now hope is fading fast, if not gone. Mm. Uh, I'm like, people are still holding out hope. Uh, you know, the stupid news is putting all these stories on about, like, earthquakes where people were found two weeks later, you know? So it's, it's yeah. giving people false hope, you know? Uh, I'm like, listen, I'm going to make a notification. I've, I've done notifications before. I'm, I'm going to do it. So uh, uh, I get my own marks with my wife. We go and get, like, a, you know, a couple dozen bagels and all the fixing because I knew the house where we were going would, would be full. Uh, we drive over to Verrazano Bridge to Staten Island, and... I wasn't sure where I was going. I go, I pull up this radio car to tell these guys, hey, you got to show me how to get to this place. And I have a panic attack, and I couldn't drive the car. I, I actually could not drive my car. So, uh, I, I, again, I used my sergeant voice, and I told these guys, I go, you're driving my car, and the other guy, you're showing me how to get there. So I told the guy with the mock car, I said, do not drive onto the block, or I'll kill you. You know, give me a block away. So I give me a block away. I'm good. I could drive the car now. I drive a... Uh, I drive into uh, the house and uh, 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 we come walking up uh, the stoop and uh, uh, and the people are like, hey, hey, uh, hey, Marilyn, Jerry, how are you, how are you? And I just go, where's Diane? I got to talk to her. And then, of course, everybody knows, like, right? I never yeah. knew this until just recently that uh, Marty's sister, Colleen, who I know, was standing right there when I said that. So she knew right then and there that her brother has been found and he's dead. And I go in and Diane was sitting there and I was like, listen, I got, I got, I got news. We found Marty. Uh, you know, he was recovered, but he had, you know, he didn't make it. And uh, it was terrible. Uh, it was just a horrible, horrible thing to go through. Uh, I did arrange to bring him home uh, with a very good honor guard. Uh, had uh, New York troopers, Jersey troopers, NYPD. Uh, Suffolk County Sheriff Department had like an eight-car procession brought him home. Uh, I streamlined all the paperwork to get him released. Uh, uh, we buried him uh, the next week. Uh, uh, I forget the maybe like the next Wednesday. Uh, poured rain, uh, and he's uh, you know is listen. It's uh, you know terrible, just terrible stuff. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, did a million, million other things, digging a uh, couple times or ran for my life because there was always like some would, there was this <coughs> paranoia, <coughs> excuse me, that the other buildings were going to fall. Like people were just like looking at them, sizing them up with their thumb. Yeah. You ever see someone plumb something with their thumb? Mm-hmm. Well, people would be like plumbing a 50-story building with their thumb <laughs> going, I don't think that looks good. And all of a sudden someone else would yell, it's coming down. And you've seen the pictures of the site. It was yeah. not like a everything metal and 
elevator cable and concrete and rocks and glass. You can't just like run out of there. And uh, people, we, we, we did not have a death. We did not have a fatal injury at that site, which amazes me. They deconstructed that site without a fatal injury on the job site. They, yeah, we had a bunch of broken bones. We had a we had a guy have a heart attack. They brought him back. James Cipriano brought him back. Uh, but uh, uh, amazing, no one got killed at that site in the days afterwards. Uh, and uh, you know, did some interesting things as a result of 9/11. I actually went to 10 Downing Street and spoke to Tony Blair. And my sergeant's uniform from the NYPD, which is kind of surreal. I met the astronauts who flew the flag onto the shuttle. That was pretty cool. Uh, I met celebrities. I met regular people. Uh, uh, You know, it just was... It just was every now and then I do think to myself, could it was it real? Did it really happen? I mean, it just seems so gigantic. Like how could something that gigantic happen? But it can happen. It can happen. And uh you know, uh people just need to No, please go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 it's fine. It, it just it changed everything. I mean yeah, it changed it changed it, it this did. entire country. Yeah, it did. It did. I, I sometimes think people are forgetting about it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, people want uh, the TSA regulations eased up, and they want uh, you know wiretapping regulations eased up. And I, I get it. We're Americans. We want freedom. We don't want restrictions. That, that's freedom is what makes America great, right? Right. But you know what? I can't have another big building fall on me. I can't go no, through I mean, that again. I mean, if it's if it's gonna if those kind of regulations are gonna keep us safe, I mean, yeah. if you're not if you're not doing anything bad, then you shouldn't have anything to worry about. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I agree with you. Like I drive a truck, and all the guys are complaining that the trucks are tracked; they can see where we're at, how fast we're going. Don't break the law, and it, they don't they don't care. They're not going to get mad if you speed because it's your ticket, not theirs. So, you know, that kind of stuff has never bothered me. You want to listen into my phone calls, you're going to be pretty bored. <laughs> you know, if you want to look at my email, it, it's a lot of email to myself, you know, emailing myself sound effects or, or, or you know, pictures or whatever. You know, you're going to gotcha. be pretty bored. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. as long as you're not doing anything wrong, who cares? You know, to be safe. No, I agree with you. Yeah. And so. I also agree, though, that the people that disagree have an absolute right to disagree. You know, God bless them, too. And that's what makes the country great, so. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, I, I, in any event, so that's my that's my story. I'm, uh, I am I zigged when I needed to zig. Uh, I didn't do anything special uh, to survive. Uh, I didn't save anybody. I, you know, I was directing people around I'm in the middle of all this stuff. People are I'm directing people. I didn't pull anybody out of a uh, the way of a you know falling I beam or anything like that. Uh, people died right near me, like right near me, and I didn't die. Like it's like sometimes it's like a, 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 a mind blowing thought to have. You know, and it was all random. If you if you ever talk to anybody else who was there, they'll tell you it was just random. The death. That's what just 
it didn't have any kind of pattern to it. It was just scattered all over the place haphazardly. Yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and telling your story. I, you have no idea how much I appreciate it, and I have been numb for this whole time. I've been th- listening to your story. I've been numb. And it, it's, uh, again, I can't, you know, you said you didn't do much to, well, you're, you're a hero. And I know heroes don't want to hear that they're heroes. I mean, never mind Batman and Superman. You are one of the heroes of 9-11. It, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and talking about it. Nobody needs to forget this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it needs to be fresh in everybody's mind, even if they don't want it to be. It, it needs to be so you know people are aware and it doesn't happen again agreed it can't happen again so thank you so much again jerry i appreciate it and i will be in contact with you very good uh, well you're welcome and and then uh, to all your listeners never forget yeah all right guys i hope you enjoyed that um i sure did i uh really enjoyed talking to those guys they're both Great guys, and whether they believe it or not, they are heroes. They are the heroes of 9-11. And I really, really hope you guys stuck around to the end. Um, Like I said before, tweet this, email it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Snapchat it, whatever you want to do. But I just think this is the kind of stuff that needs to get out there. So thanks for listening. Um, you know, let me know what you thought or what you thought of the show on uh, my Twitter at from the monkey or uh, my email at um, monkeybasepod at gmail dot com. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this uh, on these stories. You know what you thought of them. I'd really appreciate it. So that's all I got. An hour and forty five minutes worth of amazing stories so you guys take care i'm mike mann and thank you for giving me an hour and 45 minutes